0: Welcome to the Ideas Exchange by ASX, connecting you with investment experts, market updates and ideas. I am Jacinta King, Business Development Manager Investment Products at ASX, and this is our regular podcast covering everything from investment trends through to different ways to invest using a variety of products. A quick note about this podcast. Information is provided for educational purposes only and is not intended to include or constitute financial product advice. You should obtain independent advice from an Australian financial services licensee before making any investment decisions. Please refer to ASX's full disclaimer with respect to this podcast on the section of the ASX website titled The Ideas Exchange by ASX. Hello and welcome to the Ideas Exchange and to the first episode of 2024. I'm your host Jacinta King from ASX and today we are joined by Grady Wolf, Market Analyst from Bell Direct. Grady, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Jacinta, thanks for having me. I can't believe it's been a whole year.
0: I know. We need to get you back more often, I <laughs> yeah. think. But you know, this time last year really didn't feel very long ago. But look, first, before we dive into our conversation, I hope all our listeners had a wonderful break over the holiday period. I know I did. I spent a week at the coast and I think you had a bit of a fun holiday too. Did you want to share that I with did. us? I did.
1: I literally just got off the plane from uh, New York only, what, 24 hours ago? Oh, so, you're amazing. <laughs> I visited the NASDAQ, my favorite, oh. well, one of my favourite indices. So, um, yeah, got to see lots oh, going on there like? and yeah. um, visited CBS News and saw the operations there. And so it was just phenomenal. And oh, the whole trip was just incredible great.
0: Well, I can't wait till we have a coffee after and we can hear more about all your stories. Sounds really good. I was just telling Grady how I've never been to America, which is really odd. So I must get myself there one day soon. I think you need to. It's phenomenal. Now, in our first episode back for the year, we thought we'd take a look at um, 2024 and see what excites Bell Direct about the year ahead. And also where you are being cautious, as in where Bell is being cautious. But to recap, um, I think it's good to just sort of recap 2023 before we have a look at uh, what might happen in the, the coming year. So reflecting on where we ended up in 2023, can't talk about 2023 without starting with interest rates and inflation. So in Australia, we started um, last year, 2023, with consumer price inflation sitting at 7.8% and that was the highest. Since 1987. Do you remember back then?
1: I uh, actually wasn't born then. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that.
0: I was, but
1: I was still somewhat young. <laughs> I would love um, to live back then. Things would have been much cheaper. Look, it was
0: fun. The fashion, the crimped hair, the fluorescent. You could just wear fluorescent all the time. But anyway, I digress. So, in order to battle inflation, um, the Australian Reserve Bank had been increasing interest rates since May 22. So, there was a low, it was at a low of 0.2. Uh, 10%. But that trend of incre- increasing interest rates it persisted, didn't it, throughout the year? And we ended the year with the cash rate of 4.35%. So data and commentary suggests that the interest rate rises in Australia and around the world have had the desired effect, with inflation in Australia as at the end of November 2023 at 4.3%. And talk of perhaps some um, the Reserve Bank uh, dropping those those rates potentially. So watch this space. Now just before we dip into the content we want to talk with you, Grady, I also, also want to just recap equity markets. So Australian and global markets traded in the sideways market for most of the year and after indications from the US Federal Reserve that they may be near the top of the interest rate hiking cycle and may even start cutting rates um, this year, as I just mentioned. The Australian global markets went on a run in November and December. So the S&P ASX 200 index in particular reached a low on 30 October at 6,772 and then through November, December ended the year at 7,590. So that means that the S&P ASX 200 index was up 7.8% in 2023 and the S&P 500 index was up 24.23% in 2023. So with that framework and and backdrop, Grady, sectors, where should we start? My my favourite sector is tech. So shall we kick off there? Because it seemed like it really came back last year. What are your thoughts around that?
1: It's really interesting. Now, tech was the sector to be in in 2020 Mm -hmm. because interest rates, again, as you mentioned, were at a record low, 0.1%. Funding growth outlook for these companies, as we know, it's the high growth sector. And funding growth and profitability and the runway to profitability was really affordable back in 2020. Everyone was plunged into lockdowns. And if you weren't spending your money on activewear, you were putting money into the stock market because sports stopped and there was nothing else to bet on. So everyone started joining the stock market and getting into tech stocks In the exciting times of afterpay, Sezzle. It was really the hype of buying our pay later companies. Then we fast forward to the interest rate hikes and that made the growth runway and their runway to achieving profitability a lot more expensive for these companies that weren't making any money yet. So understanding that we look forward and we go, everyone's suddenly piled out of tech stocks but then last year valuations were so low everyone jumped straight back in so it really is the roller coaster of tech mm. and I think last year there's a lot of hype around the AI movement so artificial intelligence and this one is was really easy for investors to get caught up in and to misunderstand and kind of just jump on the hype rally but understanding AI is very important it's not just in the tech sector it's in all of the different sectors, mining, healthcare, retail, fashion, everything. It's in everything now. And it's a company, you need to be really smart and really understand whether a company is actually investing in AI or whether they say they're investing in AI or looking to invest in AI just to jump on the hype rally in 2023. So, a, yeah. yeah, I think
0: you make a really good point there, a good distinction. I hadn't yeah. really thought about it in that depth and exactly. that clarity. So, yeah.
1: And so in the reporting season, um, I had to really look because a lot of companies said that they're investing in AI. But when I looked into the annual reports, and a lot of investors don't do that. It's a 56-page long report. Who has time for that other than myself because I'm a market analyst and I love <laughs> that stuff. But you look into it and the material amount they're actually spending on AI isn't actually on the balance sheet or in their um, their expenses. So you think they're saying that they're going to do it and they're saying they're doing it, but they're not.
0: So it might take some time for that to come I through. I think so. Or re- maybe regulation changes might Exactly,
1: um, and it's kind of like ESG that. in a way. I like to um, kind mm-hmm. of compare it to ESG because mm-hmm. ESG isn't regulated. There's no requirements to perform ESG, but it definitely puts companies on the front foot for a lot of fund managers who only invest in certain ESG companies. AI is kind of the same. So it really puts a company on a forefront of an investor's mind in this hype rally era. But unless you're actually improving your operations and in excelling operations through AI, then you're falling behind. Mm. So it's really important to understand whether a company is investing in a material change or whether they're saying they're investing just to jump on the hype rally. So yeah, tech was definitely the sector to be in again last year, but I think the AI rally was a little bit overdone and uh, a lot of companies definitely, the valuations went really high um, for some that we definitely see are looking to slow on the earnings front this year.
0: And is there any stocks you might want to mention there? Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> so uh, Life360 is one that I've talked about yep. for a very long time. Have, yeah. And it's it's got me in hot water a little bit on the call with Koshi and uh, <laughs> and Howard Coleman, and this is a story I'll tell because for many months Howard would shut me down saying, uh, great, I it's, not, that, profitable. it's episodes, not profitable, it's not profitable, it's not profitable. And all of a sudden one one quarter of profitability turned to two quarters, three quarters, and now we're waiting for their results in March. And it's looking like it'll be the first profitable, profitable year of the company. Mm-hmm. And so in tech, the fact that they have exceeded through this, they've got 50 million global active users, they've got a subscription model, they've got an annual recurring re- revenue model, they're ticking all the boxes on the tech front for a lot of investors, and profitability is so close. So that's definitely one that I've been really excited about for a few years now, mm-hmm. and it's like Christmas for me in March <laughs> when that comes with the, their full results, so I'll be really excited to see um weather profitability definitely is on the horizon for them um the other one is actually wise tech global and this was a company that absolutely soared during covid so it's a logistics software company it's a global leader and they really stood out during covid because we had those logistical and supply chain issues around the world because of all the disruptions around the world um everyone's parcels were going missing because of COVID and it was just a logistical nightmare to be honest. Um, but WiseTech Global has cargo wise and they've really excelled and put it put this company on the forefront of a lot of investors' minds. Um, but Bell Potter actually has a hold rating on this company now because they their valuation is really high and At the moment, it kind of got caught up in the tech rally of 2023, Mm -hmm. which a lot of companies did, but their earnings growth is slowing. So with earnings growth slowing and the company trading at a premium, it says you're paying more for slowing or for lower earnings. Mm-hmm. So holding a company like this in your portfolio is a staple. It's a very good company. There's nothing wrong with the company. It's just the valuation has kind of crept up there and the company has even said themselves earnings growth is slowing. So okay. that's something to keep in mind in the tech sector heading into the new year is whether the valuation is worth it at this level.
0: Now moving to um, consumer discretionary, despite you know, multiple interest rate rises throughout the year, People were still spending.
1: Everyone is still spending. Me too, spend. myself so included. How <laughs> in a holiday? Yeah, a great and holiday. It's yeah. crazy because last year, I think it was the end of our COVID savings. So, yeah. We had, if you didn't go to Europe, you had all these savings that you had just kept from free government money during COVID. We weren't spending money on fashion. We weren't going away. We weren't buying new cars. We were just locked down in our houses. So all we had to think about was electricity, food, water, the staples. Whereas now, take us out of lockdown and we have so much money to use. Mm. And I think a lot of people saw that, uh, were really using that to their advantage over the last year. And despite interest rates rising, everyone still had this free money kind of cashed and stored away for, lack of a better word, dark times. But mm. it was actually really good times last year. Mm. So with interest rates rising, obviously cost of living pressures are going through the roof. I'm shopping for myself at the moment weekly for food shopping and I've noticed my bill's gone through mm. the roof. And not only that, my phone bill, my healthcare, everything's gone up, which is crazy because wages at the same time aren't rising to match the same amount. So it's a really um it's a really interesting mix on mm. our lifestyle front. But people did still spend and we've only just seen a slight decline in fashion retail spend. And that's what kind of sets the outlook for this year for 2024 because I think because interest rates have risen so quickly to 4.35% now, 13 rises since May 2022. And it's not been as aggressive as the US, but we still have had, and we notice it every day that life's getting expensive. Mm. And so I think this year will be a really tough one for retailers and for retailers who aren't targeting a niche market, who aren't impacted by interest rate hikes. So if they're not targeting the young demographic who don't have cost of living pressures, it might be a tough year. Mm. And so- There are a lot of different ways to kind of weather that storm, and a company like Temple and Webster, for example, really is doing great things. So they have understood that COVID was their peak, and COVID was a really, really good time for them because they're selling household retail. Household retail is booming during COVID because again, we couldn't spend money on anything else. So a lot of people. Uh, had saved to go to Europe, so they took that money instead and put it into transforming the house, upgrading, upgrading all their furniture. Yeah. Exactly. And then now Temple and Webster are using this downtime to really invest in markets uh, marketing and research and, and
0: online is a good online sort of business still booming. model isn't it yeah exactly
1: and they have drop shipping models so they don't hold much inventory uh, they also have invested in ai so they have a material mm-hmm. investment in ai and that's through renova which is a company that enables them to put their products into your house so you can see because it's an online company you don't see the couch that you're sitting on and you don't get to feel it before you put it in your house <laughs> So they've done a really good thing and through AI you can put the the couch that you're going to buy from Temple and Webster in your house. So they've taken a really strategic step to understand the downturn in the market and really use this time to really uh excel themselves and their customer offering. Mm. So that's one way to kind of weather this storm. But then you have companies like LaVisa and LaVisa, I will back this company till
0: You've talked really favourably about that all of last year So I was going to ask you. I actually don't own it. Yeah. It's not
1: in my portfolio yeah, okay, and okay. I wish it was, but I feel like I, I would definitely invest in this company, um, but it's not like everyone has their own strategies. Mm-hmm. So I, without it being in my portfolio, I still love the company. I just think the valuation, I should have jumped in a little bit earlier. Um, so it's definitely the retail pick for Bell Potter. It's a key retail pick. Because this company has so many facets to it. It's not just a direct jewellery, fashion jewellery store. It's a global uh, phenomenon, really. And a lot of people at work, I love coming into work and hearing some of the brokers talk about La Visa because it's like a 50-year-old man going, how good's La Visa? <laughs> and I'm like how, like, how good is that? Mm. Because it's a fashion jewellery store. You walk into any shopping centre And the gold logo just grabs you, the lights, Mm. the gold. It's literally just playing marketing and it's so good. Mm. And then as I said in our investor days, LaVisa has a strategy that they offer free piercings and so if they're capturing a secondary audience, so if you don't have a piercing, you get it done in store, you go and buy your piece and they're capturing a new audience Mm. that they otherwise wouldn't have captured. Super smart marketing strategy. Mm. They've also got a massive global rollout strategy of stores. So they literally have nailed the costing of this. Yeah, I found that interesting. Yeah. yeah. That, so explain
0: that more than yeah. when you say nailed the costing. So they
1: pretty mm. much, it's a rinse and repeat. So copy, paste, copy, paste kind of model. So they know exactly how much it's going to cost, uh, where, they go, where they're where they expanding to. There's not many competitors in the U.S. on this front and also in Europe. Um Notably, though, it is important to mention they have noticed a slight slowdown in their uh, net store openings in the Mm -hmm. US, but that's not uh, of significant concern and it's in line with what brokers were expecting. So it's not a concern that there's a slight slowdown in store openings, but they're still executing their global rollout strategy.
0: Yeah, I read 30 countries and- um, Massive. And how many stores was it? Uh, Over 800. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is just... I didn't realise it was that big because it's an Australian company. I right? didn't
1: either. Yeah. And then if you think about retail, you think about going overseas and you think that there's competitors of their own kind over there, but no, LaVisa's just rinse and repeat, rolling mm. out, taking over the world. Mm. And I love it. And I'm literally wearing LaVisa earrings right now. <laughs> oh, uh, walk the
0: walk, <laughs> talk the talk. talk. Good, good, good one. <laughs>
1: but we love yeah, LaVisa. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's a fun... It, I've shopped there as well for yeah. gifts because gifts, it's really so do fun. I. And it captures the
1: yeah. audience. Like I can yeah. get my niece something for five dollars and
0: myself as well the same
1: I've got different outfits Mm. for different festivals and Mm. put the earrings on but you know what you're getting you know you're going to get a couple wears out of it it tarnishes you put them in the bin so it's one of those it's a high replenishment low ticket Mm. item that you don't mind spending five ten dollars on and you get what you want but also like I do a lot with the horse racing and the fashion and I got two fascinators from there
0: Yeah, you it's current, right? It's current, Um, it's fashion. You might not wear it in two or three years' time. I love it. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Big fan. Um, Any any others worth mentioning there? Um, Uh,
1: Absolutely. So there's a hold rating from Bell Potter on Eager's Automotive. Now, mm -hmm. they're a leader in the automotive space. We have seen a slowdown in car sales and, again, like during COVID with the retail, the home retail, a lot of people – Upgraded their cars during COVID. So we know cars you don't buy every single year unless you're, I don't know, unless you love your cars, then off you go buy a new car every year. But mm. you normally hold on to them for about 5, 10, 15 years. Mm. And so Eagers Automotive, um, they're a very, very strong company. They're a market leader. They have presence all over Australia. So, and then since their merger with AP, APE, I think it is, AP, it was Eagers and APE, and they've merged and they're one of Australia's leaders. They also have property in their portfolio, which is a really strong thing because when having property in a property market right now with a crisis that we have on, they can leverage that if they need to, to sell some property and kind of bolster up their balance sheet. So Mm. we really like the fact that they own the property that they operate on as well. Mm. So that's, that's another facet to the company. But at the moment we are expecting, as I said, a slowdown in consumer spend on discretionary items in 2024. But for a company like Eagers, it's a hold rating because they have they're a market leader. They have a really strong balance sheet, and the company it makes the company equipped to weather any downturn downturn in consumer spend. And especially with recent acquisitions that they've completed, so they've completed more acquisitions recently in Melbourne to acquire different car yards and different and more property as well. Mm-hmm. So again, they're really really strategic company. That's why there's not a sell rating on it. Okay. But just yeah. with the downturn, we need to understand which companies are going to thrive and which are just going to survive so
0: that's helpful yeah so then people can understand um bell's take on it so they know where to place it in their portfolio absolutely Look, I also was thinking um, this is Australia and we love our mines and commodities, I so I know mining. our listeners are, are sitting here patiently waiting to hear about that. And yeah. I know you you spend a lot of time and do a lot of, you know, you've been doing some site visits as well. I, have. I see. I so have. talk us through some. There's a lot happening there, I think. Yeah, and yeah.
1: WA, obviously. I'm a WA girl. Yep. So it's uh, born and bred and I love WA. And I'd never actually been to a mine site until last year. We started a new content strategy from the mines behind the mines, so mine
0: behind the mines
1: and I just thought we've never taken investors up to mine sites before. It's never been done. And hearing from the helm at the mine site exactly how gold is drawn from the ground. Or how copper, what happens with copper, what the process is, or even nickel we're in the nickel downturn right now, but what happens with the mines when the price comes back because commodities are cyclical, and so hearing from the helm themselves at the edge of the mine is just phenomenal mm. and see and showing our investors exactly what happens at a mine site is just we you kind of just have to trust written announcements from ASX listed companies, don't you? Mm. Until you actually see yourself where your money is going into a mine. So it's a really exciting time. And I'm really excited for this year. We have some big plans, but Mm. with miners last year, obviously where it is, as I said, cyclical. So it's important to remember that macro factors and financial factors and where they're at in their production cycle, it all impacts the way that their stock price performs. So- for explorers and producers, um, we saw different companies last year really excel. So in the gold space, especially gold sitting at fifty-year highs, two thousand and twenty-seven U.S. dollars an ounce today, and so that's definitely seen a resurgence. And if we go back to this uh, podcast recording last year, it, gold wasn't even on our radar no. at all because yeah. there was no need for safe haven at that point, and there was no drive, or there was interest rate uncertainty. And so everyone just went the gold wasn't even on the radar, and then out of nowhere, all these gold miners explorers they just yeah you're booming. right, it was really
0: quiet, it was yeah, yeah.
1: and then all of a sudden, everyone wants gold yeah. and so <laughs> um, yeah, gold was one of the ones that we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of excitement in, so some of our um, some of the explorers and producers turned into developers, mm-hmm. and Bellevue gold was one of those, and um, it's a really exciting time, but once you turn from a producer and explorer to a full blown gold developer and miner, it's not that's not where it stops. The challenges kind of ramp up from there because you have to get your capex and opex down. For gold, all in sustaining costs is really important. So producing as much as you can at uh, the highest rate po- and selling it at the highest rate possible per ounce at the same time as keeping your costs under control is so important. Mm. So for Bellevue Gold, they um, have really exceeded and really excelled um, what we expected. And the margins, so now it's up to maximising margins. So um, it's really exciting and they're ramping up to full capacity now of 200,000 ounces per annum at their Bellevue Gold production plant. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, just seeing that firsthand was just phenomenal and seeing the team behind the company. It's also when you're looking at a miner, it's about the experience of the those at the helm and Darren Stralo and the team they have really extensive experience and so just looking at that, how they operate every day and what they bring to the team it just goes to show what that they're seriously onto something special mm. for Bell Potter, their gold pick at Bell Potter is actually Gold Road resources, and I will disclaim that I do have this in my portfolio. I got into this simply on the back of Bell Potter's research, so I, did, I hadn't really understood much about the company beforehand, but I really like the fact that the company has the Tier One Gruyere Gold Mine in WA. So again, WA girl. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, they also
1: own um, have a significant shareholding in De Grey Mining, which is another gold miner that's up and coming. And we have a spec buy on those uh, on. Degray, sorry. And it just, uh, the company, it's just, they're producing already. They've got really good all-in sustaining costs. They've got obviously the exposure through de Grey to the Molina Gold project, which is uh, looking to be a really good asset under their control. The company of uh, Gold Road also is profitable, has no debt and pays a dividend. So- mm-hmm. Are a lot of investors that it's a lot of ticks in one sentence. quite attractive so,
0: when you put it like that. Really yep.
1: attractive as well. And so understanding that you just need to look at and they all in sustaining costs came in below Bell put our expectations. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the metrics we look at with gold miners. Naturally gold has been on a run recently. So if you're looking for exposure in gold, you can you don't just have to go for the miners. You can kind of look at physical gold or ETFs even or explorers if you want to jump on the specy side. So there's a lot of different ways to expose yourself to gold. Mm. And I was speaking to some of our commodity analysts earlier um, this year so and they were all saying that gold is definitely set to continue the rally in 2024. Mm. So um, with a lot more certainty on the interest rate front, a lot of people just want that exposure to gold just for a safe haven element to their portfolios. And so, yeah, it's a really exciting time. And also with the expectation that the US dollar is going to weaken. So, again, that bolsters a case for gold. So, okay.
0: Well, yeah. well, there's the case for gold. Um, pretty comprehensive, so thank you. No what worries. about some other commodities like lithium? I think we probably need to touch on we that, do hey, because yeah. of what happened.
1: <laughs> I think the lithium sale has been overdone.
0: Okay. And it's yeah. probably a
1: controversial opinion, but lithium itself, and speaking to different resources analysts, um, it's a commodity that came out of nowhere and it's kind of bounced between really high and really low. And it hasn't found that happy medium in the mm. middle. So we've seen obviously the gold price go peak and trough. But it kind of sits around a happy medium over time and it goes up over time. But then you have lithium, and that's because it came out of nowhere so quickly. And this lithium ion battery has been in the works for maybe a decade or t- two decades, maybe about 20 something years. It's really new to the market, and we're still understanding the, ca- mm. the potential and capabilities of lithium. And so any noise in the space really impacts the price of the commodity and demand outlook. And so with China, Being or coming back really slowly from their post pandemic lockdowns, even just this week, some fresh data shows China is still struggling to regain any operational, like full operational Mm. capacity and economic growth. It just goes to show that any news to do with China, which is obviously now the biggest producer of EVs in the world, and BYD has overtaken Tesla now as the biggest EV company in the world, it just goes to show that any news, any negative news really impacts lithium. And speaking to those at the helm so um Ken Brinsden from Patriot Battery Metals and different different players in the space they all come together like even Dale Henderson from Pilbara Minerals they all have the same outlook is that supply there's lithium everywhere in the world but getting it from out of mm. the ground into a battery is a really tough process. It and seems
0: that we're still at the very beginning stages we of that are. production. That's what I've been 100%. reading. The impression I'm getting, one
1: hundred percent, and it's yeah. of course we can work in couple, our backyard. A couple of
0: years away, I would argue, we
1: really are because we've got to build the
0: plants. For example, building
1: plants, um, change or well, obviously going through the whole transformation process yeah. from the hard rock lithium into a battery. It's not an easy process. Do
0: you think the government policy? These, you know, t- the talk, and especially in the ESG space and, and um, yeah. that's what's driving it and people think, oh, okay, well, this is going to happen, but yeah. it's not actually going to happen tomorrow. So it will not happen yeah. tomorrow.
1: And so I think, any again, any noise that says, oh, lithium supply will outweigh demand one day, it might, but getting that supply into mm. a battery form is a really tough process. Yeah. So it's I think lithium will f- will probably bounce around a bit this year. But fundamentally, the fundamentals are there, Like mm. we will always need lithium. Mm. And then the question arises, a lot of people are obviously sceptical about the future of lithium, but what we need to remember is that until there's a replacement for a lithium-ion battery and a better replacement, need, you need lithium. Mm. And so with a lithium-ion battery, it actually isn't just lithium. So a lot of it is graphite. So graphite's another one that's kind of rising up the ranks this year as well. Rare Earths is another element of mm-hmm. these batteries. Um, you have copper, you have zinc. So many things go into lithium-ion batteries. It's not just lithium. Yep. So it definitely puts a number of commodities on the f- um, on the kind of up this year. But, yeah, I think there'll be a bit more volatility in the lithium front, and that's natural because it had such a run over 2022. But yeah, there's a few different commodities like even copper had its false start last
0: year. Yeah, yeah, we're going to talk about a bit about that as well, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, Cuz yeah. <laughs> copper. Yeah. I mean, these are on my radar given all this sort of move to clean energy. It but, is, yeah. and it has
1: a it has a fundamental role in clean energy. So, yeah. it's the energy storage, it's the energy transmissions, it's everything. And a number of different markets and analysts around the world definitely still think copper has a role and copper is needed in your portfolio in 2024 and they, I do think this is the year that it will come through? But I think it's just I don't know whether it was market speculation or oversupply under demand or the price of um copper, but the, the fundamental like lithium is there. Copper is just it's needed for energy storage, EV batteries, solar panels, mm-hmm. wind turbines, everything. Mm-hmm. So the fundamentals are there. It's just whether the market realizes it or not and how quickly we want to get into the green energy transition. So yeah yeah copper is a really interesting one yeah. even nickel nickel is yeah i was gonna say
0: nickel as well yeah. yeah
1: nickel it's a sad it's a sad story <laughs> because it, I feel we've bad. Got time i feel bad for a commodity but <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a child <laughs> um but yeah nickel it, it has had um we've kind of reached the top of the cycle yeah but again nickel is again like copper needed in this green energy transition so the it's a shame the price has come back for quite a way, but again, how low can it go? Is mm. the question.
0: Look, that's been great, thank you so much. I really appreciate the insight. Financials is next on my mind yeah. because that's another favorite. Um, so yeah, a bit of changes there, I think.
1: I think so as well. People's so the big banks
0: has shifted, yeah. Yeah,
1: there's um, like naturally, CBA accounts for what 10% of the ASX, mm. the 200, or the key the key market. And so a lot of people will always love the big banks and that's fine because that is part of everyone's or some people's investment strategy and the dividends they pay is good. All the big banks, it's a kind of security that your banks are not going anywhere and especially in Australia. We didn't have the issues that the US did in the regional banks because our banks are so heavily scrutinised and so heavily regulated. So we're in a really fortunate position in Australia. So having exposure to the banks is smart, but Mm. understanding that net interest margins have peaked across the board and that's where the banks make their profits and their margins. um, And investors are looking for diversification in the financial space because as we know, poor fund managers did it very tough mm-hmm. in 2023.
0: They certainly um, did. Yeah. yeah.
1: So there are opportunities in the fund manager space uh, heading forward. And so with the back on the banks. All right, tell us
0: more. What's, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. What's so your thoughts there? The reason then? is because with the banks, as I said, net interest margin has peaked. You've got switching at an all-time high rate right now. So everyone's looking to refinance, looking to get the best mortgage they can. And so there's opportunities with those that have been sold off in 2023. We actually have a buy rating on Perpetual and okay. I sat with the analyst and it was really interesting to hear his uh, and, and his opinion on this because as we know, as I said, fund managers did it really tough and there's a lot of fund managers out there. So diversifying and making your fund management process and your portfolio stand out is a tough thing to do in a saturated market. But for Perpetual, their results were weaker in FY23. There's no denying that. but a strong management team, an entrepreneurial management team, and a really personalized focus moving forward. So they're really tailoring their product to what their clients and customers want as opposed to a one-size-fits-all. So they're really diversifying where they're investing. They also have the corporate trust business, which is a really sticky revenue stream for them. And it's a really, really high value market. And that's a really, sorry, really high value division. And a Japanese, I think it was Japanese or Chinese company two years ago wanted to buy this off them. But again, they rejected it on the grounds of value. And then Washington H sold Pats now is interested in um, separating this part of the business from Perpetual. So the corporate trust business is where I'm keeping my eye on this year because it's an emerging business in the US as well. So we're seeing a lot of corporate trust businesses pop up in the US because
0: okay, yeah.
1: the process to get your corporate trust funds into companies like Perpetual it's a really tedious process. And so once you're, once they're in, you tend not to move, and so. That's the kind of space in the financials that I'm looking
0: at this year. So watch this space, yeah. Watch this space, been especially a lot in happening. the corporate trust. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Great. That's a good one to note. Yeah. Now defensive stocks, staples. Yeah. They They surprised happened? us all. <laughs> I know because I've worked for years um, in funds management and yeah. and worked with a you know a a, um, a a manager who ran you know conservative portfolios and the staples really did well. Until recently, staples so generally are the ones you
1: think are going to do well.
0: We think that people will stop discretionary spending, exactly. but they seem not to. But then they've pulled back on staples. 100%. What's that about?
1: Got any insights for I, us? Can you read your crystal ball me. on that one? This confused me <laughs> big time because this is these are the companies that you think can raise costs, will raise the price of goods without impacting demand. That's generally what a staple and defensive stock mm. is. Um, but you look at the likes of Coles and Woolies and they, well, Woolies did really well. They actually did well for a number of reasons. And one of them was their expansion. This makes me laugh. I'm not sure why. But their expansion into pet retail space. So it's a $3.7 billion market right now in Australia.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, did you have you said this before? I've heard this before. Yes, it must have been from one of your. It probably my um, yeah. buy
1: hold sell. Yeah, so yeah, Woolies is interesting because they started acquiring different pet companies and pet retailers. Um, oh, so
0: outside of Woolies, they're buying. So the these... Woolies
1: head group is yeah. by acquiring different pet yeah, okay. companies. And when they started doing this about two years ago, I was thinking, why is this? But you look forward and you see the number of COVID puppies and COVID babies if you didn't buy, if you didn't have a baby during COVID, you bought a puppy because you're home alone, you're bored, you're lonely and everyone bought puppies. And so not only that, everyone has these customized, like my, like Harry or whatever someone's dog's name is. Really posh names. Yeah, no, (laughs) Harry.
0: Posh names, (laughs) posh lives. Yeah. exactly. And
1: then, but Harry can't (laughs) just have one lead. He has to have Another one for summer, one yeah. for winter, a Customized blue one, a pink one. named
0: feed bowls. Exactly. And,
1: yeah. and it's like this pet retail Grooming. industry, <laughs> it's cheap to make the products and the margins are so high. So Woolies expanding into this was a super smart move. Mm. They also the other smart move they made was the demerger of Endeavour, which was their alcohol and tobacco assets. And so that made the that really put Woolies on the portfolio um radar for a lot of fund managers because ESG, as I as I mentioned earlier, it's not regulated, but companies and fund managers in particular have been taking serious notice of companies and avoiding investing in companies altogether who have exposure to alcohol and tobacco assets mm-hmm. and so the fact that Woolies demerged their Endeavor and uh, dual list listed Endeavor as its own group uh, and then now have uh, been selling their holding in Endeavor it just really uh, it was a really strong move by Woolies and I'm just wondering Coles still has their liquor assets with through mm-hmm. land and all those um, different and their different liquor assets and tobacco and I'm just wondering, because we always see with these um, with these supermarkets one copies the other mm. and then vice versa and I'm just wondering what Coles is going to do with their liquor assets, so
0: it might drive some change in behavior yeah
1: maybe to... or maybe a demerger I'm not sure like this is yeah. pure speculation, don't quote me yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> but noted. it's just interesting to see if they were watching to see how Woolies and Endeavour went separately mm. before they decided to do the same thing. But, yeah, that's kind of something on my radar, obviously, heading into this year as well. But, again, so back on the Staples stocks, it's – I don't – I think it was margin pressure was a, a big one for Staples this year. So controlling costs was a big one because, obviously, costs rising, you need to be in charge mm. of that. And I think a lot of them – like Woolies and Coles implementing the price freeze on different of their trolley items it was good for Australians but bad for investors. So it helped you and I with our um, obviously with our grocery shopping, yep. but investors weren't very impressed with that. So yep. I think controlling costs and increasing prices to uh, obviously absorb these material cost increases was really important. And a lot of companies let let down on that
0: front in twenty twenty three. Okay, now I've got a, just a short amount of time left. Are there some other sectors you want to yeah. just cover off? One or two, maybe?
1: Uh, REIT is a quick yep. one. So, yep. REIT is one that a lot of investors got wrong in 2023. Mm-hmm. The sector didn't do very well, but a lot of investors assume that REIT is simply office and retail space, office and retail real estate. It's not. And there's a serious, a few opportunities in that space moving forward. Now, there's a lot of companies putting back, putting a back-to-work policy in. So our company is one of them, working from home is not CBA a thing anymore. Did it, yeah. Exactly. Think, yeah. So back to offices. So we had office vacancies high. Obviously this really hurt office REITs. That is looking to turn around in 2024. Retail REITs, obviously retail spaces, we know online shopping is getting bigger so that's going to, it'll be tough for a little while. But data warehousing and industrial REITs and distribution centres, mm. Is massive and there's a serious opportunity there like abacus storage king i think is it abacus storage king i think the company is it only listed recently and it's a really interesting company because it combines the housing crisis where people have so much uh people have to downsize because they can't afford their repayments on loans so they need to either get rid of their furniture in their house to downsize their house oh. or it's like by selling it or store it and so storage also rates
0: moved and downsized, but, then they're keeping but where do you put the storage. furniture? Yeah, okay. So
1: the, there's actually a wait list right. for some of these storage yeah. units, which is really interesting. And Abacus Storage King listing at this time is really smart because demand is so high for these storage units. So that's a rate that a lot of people don't expect will do well. Or don't actually even consider mm. on their radar, but it's one that really interested myself. Goodman Group's another one. So they uh, actually introduced price increases in 2023. So that led to margin expansion and obviously overall a higher net profit. So again, higher prices, higher net profit. That's exactly what you want to see. Yep. And then the healthcare sector.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it's my favorite sector.
0: Oh, okay, (laughs) all right.
1: It is my favorite sector because obviously it's working at uh, helping the better good and the greater Mm. good of human beings. So a lot of different companies. It's the sector that has outperformed over the last ten years, and for a good reason. Because in this in this process, and I just love healthcare companies that come through with the goods. Because it's a ten year process from the day I sit there and I say I've found a drug that's going to treat blah or XYZ disease. It takes 10 years and a lot of money, Mm -hmm. a lot of trust, a lot of faith, a lot of trials, a lot of failures to get this product to market and to actually help the greater good of people. And so Neuron Pharmaceuticals, I've been talking, it is in my portfolio. I bought in at $13.26. It just topped $23 the other day. I think it topped $25 just before the end of 2023. And this company, in my opinion, is the next big Australian name because they have the the world's first approved treatment for Rett syndrome, which is a neurodevelopmental disorder that affects um, motor skills, language, and it's a growing a growing market globally. And so the fact they have the only approved drug in the world for That's the treatment of this yeah. is huge. Yeah. And then not only that, they also have a global distribution with, through Arcadia Pharmaceuticals, which is their global distribution partner. So that means they're already making money. They have revenue coming in. They're doing really well. But they also have a second drug in the works right now to treat four neurodevelopmental disorders, including Pitt-Hopkins syndrome, Prader-Willi, Phelan-McDermid syndrome, and another one, I forget the name. But again, the addressable market for that is just huge. And there's never been a drug to treat one of these, let alone all four. So it just goes to show the sky really is a limit for this company. And despite it being on a rally, the, again, as I said, it's on a rally right now, but the sky is a limit. So you can't really put a price on a growing addressable market. So when I say valuations are high right now, it's how much are you willing to pay to be part of this mm. growing market? If there's slowing growing earnings or uh, slowing earnings growth, then obviously you need to consider how much you're willing to pay. But the sky's the limit. So yeah. it could just keep going and going and going. But then, the, then you have a like of a Resmed, which came in under pressure in 2023, and it's a really interesting reason why it came under pressure. So it has a sleep apnea product. Yeah,
0: I found that interesting. It was, was really interesting. Yeah, yeah.
1: Because a lot of people. So obviously, Zempic was the big thing in the in the world in 2023, and it's really a shame because it's a drug for diabetes, and a lot of people misused it and want to use it for weight loss. And obviously it does help with that. Don't get me wrong, but it was definitely misused, abused. And a lot of people kind of took the mickey out of it and just really went at it because they wanted to lose weight and some people for the wrong reasons as well. And so we had a shortage of this weight loss drug. And so a lot of people assumed that losing weight and with such a high demand for this weight loss drug would mean sleep apnea products would be less needed because i have heard
0: this maybe it's an urban myth then is I it i think
1: it well Doing a bit At of apneas, research, I think so yeah. because people who are fit and young as well
0: have it still yeah. snore,
1: yeah, and yeah. still have sleep apnea.
0: My daughter, I, she'll hate me for saying it. She's really young and she <laughs> she snores.
1: My she's, partner she's snores. Like, and he's fit as no, yeah. He'll probably hate she's me for like saying tiny, that, but, yeah. and he's so fit, young, <laughs> yeah, healthy, okay. and he snores. So it's like I think it's an urban myth, and a lot of <laughs> investors obviously listening to news and noise yeah. again, and assuming that the weight loss drug and weight loss epidemic out there is going to lead to less need for these products. So naturally the market is oversold and mm. a lot of brokers see it and buy an opportunity to, for ResMed because okay. their products are always going to be needed. Yeah. So it is an exciting
0: time but the healthcare names are definitely my favourite in the market. Awesome. From what you've been saying, what I've noted here, you sector stock picks with tech. We've got Life360. Yeah. Um, edging towards profitability, and you noted that full year results are due March. Retail still happy with LaVisa. yeah. And was there any others in the retail space? Oh, you mentioned APE guys, yeah, but that's a hold. APA, yeah, that's yeah. a hold. And then um, miners, yeah, we got a great recap on the the gold there, um, but not to forget some of those other commodities. Um, healthcare, we've just covered that. So Neuron and Resmed are still yeah. on your radar. So Grady, I really appreciate it. It's been a really great introduction to the year, a lot to think about and digest. So I hope for our listeners, they've enjoyed that and um, maybe you need to listen twice to get some good takeaways. So thank you for joining us today and we look forward to our listeners tuning in next month on the Ideas Exchange. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Research is key to help you achieve your investment goals. Visit asx.com.au to access our company directory and find details about all ASX listed companies sorting alphabetically by industry sector, listing date or market capitalisation.